0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam again. Great to have you back with us today on this fine autumn morning. Hope you've all got your holidays booked already. This is the perfect season to hop in a car and head into the mountains for some of that gorgeous red and yellow foliage Japan is so famous for. And also the best season for some rest and relaxation at an onsen, which is a Japanese natural hot spring resort to those among you who don't actually live here. We've mentioned here in the past that buying one of these magical spots in the mountains is the perfect retirement dream for many people, and we're going to talk more about these types of places in a week or two, which is when we've got another exciting interview planned for you, but more on that another day. For today, our topic is older buildings, and more specifically, older co-owned buildings, some of the things that can happen as they approach the end of their official tax depreciation life cycle. So to reiterate some of what we've mentioned here in the past, the tax depreciation life cycle for reinforced concrete buildings, which is the majority of co-owned buildings in Japan, is currently 47 years. Now, this is a theoretical figure. It certainly doesn't mean that the building is no longer livable after this period of time. In fact, the bigger and more profitable the building is, the more likely it is to be used far beyond this uh, point in time. And not only that, but as long as the building is well-maintained, well-located, and profitable, its market value may well go up if the economy is doing well, too. As an example, some of our clients have got units in co-owned buildings built in 1973 and 1974, so 44, 45 years old as of today, huge developments of over 150 and, in one case, even 250 units, that are located in the heart of Tokyo and Fukuoka, the two cities that have benefited the most from property price hikes between 2012 to 2017. And we've seen market price more than double during that period for those units, even though the building is officially near the very end of its 47-year tax depreciation life cycle, simply because it's still very profitable, it's regularly maintained and renovated, And there's absolutely no relation between that tax depreciation calculation and practical reality. As far as earthquake-resistant building standards go, and this is also something we've discussed here on the podcast time and time again, while 1981 was the year in which the latest earthquake-resistant building standard codes was introduced, in reality there are often newer buildings that haven't been properly maintained or improperly managed by a shoddy building management company, And these pose a far higher practical risk than older buildings which may not be built to the latest earthquake resistance standards but are very well maintained including some updates to the exterior roof and interior that can bring them up to speed as far as earthquake resistance or protection goes so it's better to evaluate these buildings on a case-by-case basis rather than assume that their age actually means they shouldn't be looked at or that their younger age necessarily means that they automatically translate into a better deal. What does pose a problem with older buildings, though, and that can be uh, problematic with co-owned buildings, where units are owned by different individuals or companies as opposed to structures that are owned by a single owner or a small partnership of owners, the problem is that developers use their age as a weapon against owners and often successfully convince owners to sell at a very low price, using scare tactics and outright lies and corruption to achieve their goal in some cases. It's unfortunate, but it's also um, common practice. So it's something worth knowing in advance. So let's assume we've got an older building, now approaching that 47 theoretical lifespan. Most individual unit owners in Japan are not real estate professionals, of course, and many of them aren't even professional investors. In fact, the vast majority of investment units in the country are owned by older folk who have purchased their properties decades ago And Japan still hasn't been burned by the big crash that happened here in the early 90s. They may own just one, a few or more than a few of those condo units, but their knowledge of the market and how it works is basically limited to their own limited experience and to what they're told by real estate agents, developers, newspaper articles, accountants, and so forth, which is unfortunately not always grounded in practical reality. They've never owned an entire building because they prefer not to take on the risk and uncertainty that comes with that. They're more comfortable paying a set monthly fee and have a building management and owner co-op make all of those decisions on their behalf. So, they have no real knowledge when it comes to structural maintenance, realistic lifespans, and so forth. So, up comes a developer who wants to buy that particular land plot for as low a price as possible, of course. And they are armed with all of this knowledge and experience, which means that they've naturally got the upper hand on those owners. Now... If you'll recall from our interview with uh, Akira Katsuno from La Nation Building Management Company, which was an excellent episode, by the way, a jam-packed full of useful information, which I highly recommend you go back and listen to when you have a moment. Akira told us that if 80% of owners agree to sell their units, the owner's co-op can then go ahead with the sale, even if the remaining 20% of owners refuse. So the building's communal areas, which essentially means everything except the interior of the units themselves, can be sold at whichever total price was agreed upon. What will happen practically in those cases is that the new building owner can now decide to stop repairing, renovating, and even to stop providing electricity and water to all units, including those owned by the owners who refuse to sell which they'll definitely do because what they want to do is demolish the building and build something new there. So in practice, those units which haven't been sold will be rendered unlivable. And then at that point, they will no longer be resellable at all. So really, all the developer needs to do in this case is to get approval to sell from 80% of unit owners. And they can do this in various ways. So common practice is to first get their hands on a few of those units in advance uh, which they purchase from a few owners at reasonable market prices. And that then gives them a voting share of, say, 5 10 or even 20% when it comes to any future vote on the sale of the building. They then proceed to try and convince the remaining owners to sell at a highly discounted price, using, again, scare tactics such as repeated phone calls to these owners, uh, pretending to be on their side to care for their best interests, telling them that the price offered is the best that they'll be able to get considering the age of the building and the fact that technically it is now reaching the end of its lifespan. Once that time frame passes, they say, the units will be completely worthless and unsellable, which is an outright lie, but unfortunately this information isn't readily available, again, to anyone who doesn't do the research and is unfamiliar with market trends in their area or nationally, which again is most owners'. They'll also explain to them what will happen once the sale goes through and they're holding on to a unit in an unmaintained, unserviced building, as we've just mentioned, and that part is actually true. Some of them will even illegally pay off or offer semi-legal expensive gifts and perks, uh, essentially bribes to the head of the owner's co-op in an attempt to get them on their side and apply even more pressure on owners who are reluctant to sell at the cutthroat price that the developer is now offering. And so... Even buildings that have been very well-maintained are still very profitable and have ample reserve funds pool that can keep them profitable for many years to come, or even decades, end up being sold at ridiculous prices because of these strategies that these um, shoddy developers employ. Now, if you've purchased your unit a good few years back and you've had a good few years of reasonable rental returns, you've managed to recoup all or most of your investment capital by the time this all happens – you're probably still going to be well in the green. So you can shrug it off as a less than ideal investment, take whatever's being offered, and reinvest in something that'll hopefully generate a better overall return. But the point is, even if you haven't yet recouped your capital, and you're actually in negative returns territory overall, there is simply nothing that you will be able to do about it. Since if you don't agree to sell, the developer, again, will almost always achieve their 80% agreement goal and you'll be left with a unit that will become virtually worthless over a very short period of time. So you may be able to get a you know, couple more years of rental income from it before it becomes unlivable and your tenant bails on you. And at that point, no one will pay you a single cent for it, which is, of course, the worst possible scenario. Now, this is much harder for developers to do when the building is very large So anything that's centrally located and over 150 or 200 units is probably a safe bet, even if it's old, since it's much harder for anyone but the biggest developers to buy people out of that. And these developers tend to offer reasonable market prices if they want to buy the place, since they're a lot more closely scrutinized by media, government authorities, and so forth. But anything at or under 100 units is definitely at risk of this happening, which is something that you'll want to consider when evaluating potential condominium deals in a co-owned building. So the only way around this potential scenario is to either purchase units in buildings that are no older than 30 or 35 years on purchase, which means that you'll have a good few years to get good yields out of them before these smaller developers come sniffing around. Or, which is the best possible scenario, own the entire structure yourself, which means that you're the only one who can then decide whether to sell or not, and at what price. That's it from us today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of our Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. Please do share it with anyone in your networks or directly with anyone who may find the information here useful. As always, we welcome your comments and questions on whatever platform you found us on. If you like this podcast, please feel free to subscribe to it. And lastly, we would hugely, hugely appreciate if you could take a minute of your time and rate us on the iTunes store. Leave us a rating on the Google Play Store, YouTube or wherever you may have found us. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a great week. And as always, happy investing.